Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters. Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome to the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain podcast. I'm Rob Nelson from Roundtable Table, the Street Crypto, John Nigerian, Mark Lepresti, Alex Massioli. With me, the Market Masters. This is our weekly podcast to B3 Nation. We're on YouTube, on streaming platforms. We also have a Twitter Spaces on Thursdays, 5.30 Eastern Time at Get Rev Radio, so you can all check it out there. Um, we've got a fun, smart, interesting show ahead. We got the Fed getting ready to, when we'll talk a little about the Fed, Fed getting ready to have its big meetings. I, I get excited about this now. It's like sports announcements. They get ready, they have their meetings, then we decide what they do, then we hear the aftermath. We'll be talking about that. Consumers, maybe. Mark Lepresti has been saying the summer of George can't last forever. Consumers may be deciding they're at the end. John Nigerian's on a roll that energy is going to keep going up. Get ready for that. And Citigroup is launching a crypto token. Alex will get into all that and more. It's the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Show. Let's start out by thanking our sponsor, Mark Lepresti's favorite, because it goes back to his childhood, Celine Automotive. If, if you remember those great cars, they're not gone yet. Tell us about them. Yeah, that's right, Rob. So Celine Automotive, the company that has famously customized Mustangs that graced my bedroom wall and that of many of my contemporaries, incredible machines, as well as completely handcrafted famous cars like the Celine S7 and soon the Celine S1, the GT Cup version of which John and our friend Adam Carolla got to whip around Willow Springs Wastetrack a couple of weeks ago. At 178 miles an hour going into hairpin turns, Celine is conducting, and in fact, it's in its final weeks, of a crowdfund offering. This is an opportunity for fans of the brand to also become shareholders. The money is going to be used to support the release of the upcoming S1. I know producer Patrick will splice in some fantastic video of the cars, maybe some video of John running around the track. So we wanted the B3 Nation to know about this opportunity. There's going to be, I believe, uh, a link for folks watching this video to click to read the important disclaimers that are required by the SEC. This is, they're a sponsor. This is a paid promotion. Disclaiming that both in the fine print as well as live here during the show. But we think this is a pretty cool opportunity to get a piece of an iconic brand these cars, Rob, have won some of the most famous races. In fact, Steve told John and I a story about the time that a Celine S7 race car beat Ferrari and Maserati and Mercedes, etc., at Le Mans. And uh, Montezumolo, the uh, famous and infamous CEO of Ferrari at the time, um, sent Steve a Christmas card 
with a not very Christmassy message in it. But if you want to learn more about that, you got to go check out Celine. I believe it's John. What is it? Start Engine um, Backstash. Just invest Celine. Celine.com. There you go. There we have it. So, Mark, um, Mark, take us through the um, take us before we get into the, the hot topics. You know, sure. we're going to run through we're going to run through quick overview of the markets, crypto and TradFi. And then, of course, everybody will do the picks. We'll do each. You'll have one, two, three, as many as you want. There's no requirement of a pick crypto stock, you know, equity pick, an options pick that you're actually making yourself this week. But um, but Mark, obviously, you know, you love to talk about Jay Powell and the Fed. And <laughs> Tuesday and Wednesday, the central bank's getting ready. It's like it's like the Chinese Communist Party having the big meeting. What do we got? What are we looking at? Yeah. And, and you know, Rob, that's an interesting analogy because I think they might be almost as good as capitalistic monetary policy as the Chinese Communist Party. But that's I don't want to get into politics. That's a different show. The market not doing a lot this week, as is often the case in the days leading up to the all-important FOMC meeting, starting, as you pointed out correctly, Tuesday, with the comments and the announcement about the Fed's decision with respect to a hike, a pause, or <laughs> snowball's chance in hell rates going down, being reduced on Wednesday. So traders not moving a lot. I mean, markets, very, very little change, all three of the major indices mildly, and I mean mildly, in the green. The Dow up just 6.6 points. The S&P, three spot 21. The NASDAQ, one spot 90, barely eking out a single basis point to the upside. A lot of other folks, or excuse me, a lot of other things traders are looking for. We've got the Instacart IPO tomorrow, which we're going to talk about, I think, later on in the show. Investors look to see whether or not Instacart can ride the wave of the famous ARM IPO, which we covered last week, which as we discussed, Rob, may have pried open that window for IPOs, tech IPOs in particular. We're going to talk about that one. Of course, the uh, auto worker strike dominating the headlines as it relates to the automotive industry. And I don't want to jump John's shark but man, oh man, John was right when he said last week, and I asked him, can oil go higher and energy names with it? And boy, oh boy, we said, yes, John was right. John's going to cover that later on the show. So that's the latest in markets, Rob. John is always right. We, we know that. John, John give us, a, shakes his head no. Give us the macro minute. I mean, what's and, and the auto strike, right? I mean, I think a lot of people are trying to look at what does that really mean? What does it mean for the broader market? What does it mean for the automakers? The, these guys are looking at a massive pay raise. I mean, this isn't small no, chickens or uh, small potatoes or um, whatever. I mean, they must want to put themselves out of business, basically, Rob. I'm all for people getting um, not what they're worth, but what they deserve. <laughs> Um, but uh, when I look at this right now, the average UAW workers making 66 bucks an hour. Um, Elon Musk pays $45 an hour. Uh, he is not a union shop and he doesn't have the union legacy costs, all those pensions and so forth. He doesn't have that. So they can make money at a much uh, lower gross profit than can General Motors, Stellantis, or Ford, just to name the three basic big ones here in the U.S. I know there are a lot of other 
car makers that do fall under various union uh, deals here in the United States. Some do, some don't. But what I see, Rob, is that they're asking for a 40% jump from that $66 an hour. It puts them well over $100 an hour. In other words, more than double Elon Musk's costs per hour. And that's a dog that doesn't hunt. Um, it takes so many fewer workers to put together an EV, which is one of the reasons that the uh, car companies have not really followed in Elon's path. Because if they do, there's a real price to pay. They will uh, furlough or get rid of tens of thousands of workers. If Because again, it's so much easier to assemble an EV than it is a car with all the moving parts that most of us drive. So I think this is a big deal. They're not close on the negotiations. Uh, the automakers are offering $17 to $20 an hour in over three years. But the auto workers want um, a 40% jump over those same three years. What are we looking at, John, with uh, a quick, fantastic futures? And 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 also, obviously, energy is part of that. And we'll talk a little more about energy a little later on. But obviously, you're yeah. looking at energy um, futures. Because everybody things, who uh, depends on it, which is everybody from you and me to your Uber driver, even if you don't have your own car, um, the costs borne by the food delivery companies, by the airlines, Virtually everything from plastics to uh, polar fleece is petroleum-based. And all of this, I mean, we went through 90, we went through 91 per barrel, we went through 92 per barrel. We're sitting right now, Rob, at roughly 92.50 per barrel. And with the Russian cutbacks, demand not slacking off, and the fact that the president, in his infinite wisdom, drew down 260 million uh, barrels out of a 405 million barrel uh, spur, strategic petroleum reserve, and only refilled about that much of it. That's a real problem, Rob. And if we, God forbid, uh, had a storm or some other real uh, reason that, that we need to draw down the spur, we're in a world of hurt, and Europe's in a world of hurt already. Hey, Alex, you know, I always like to, as we move into crypto, the crypto overviews, um, I always love to ask you the TradFi connection to all of this. And, you know, we talked about it before, energy prices, Bitcoin doesn't care unless it's going to affect the cost of electricity. But John's thesis is all of energy is going to go up. And, you know, this is the tip of the iceberg. So, you know, what are the state of the crypto markets? And are you looking at going, wow, we could be seeing really much higher prices for mining and that would affect Bitcoin's, you know, retail trade trade price? And well, let, let's first uh, start off with the energy. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we're looking at in the crypto space that's going to affect, uh, you know, mid and long term pricing as well as uh, any short term volatility is, uh, you know, things around the Fed that Mark said we're having this week. Um, and one of those things is, you know, uh, energy. Um, you know, last week's CPI uh, print was 
mainly due to oil costs, which are mostly out of our control in the U.S. So energy is having a big factor in a lot of things going on. Um, and as it relates specifically to Bitcoin mining, I know we touched on this a little bit uh, last week. Um, but yeah, it's going to it's going to affect Bitcoin mining as well. It's going to affect all sectors uh, moving forward. So. So what's the what's the picture of the crypto markets this week? Slow, still in the summer doldrums. Well, you know, it, it really is starting to feel that way. Um, it's it's been relatively flat, uh, and and so is the U.S. dollar index (DXY), which uh, many of you know we use as a uh, correlation indicator to trading. So um, DXY has been flat since last Thursday. I'm looking at the screen right now. Uh, it, it's uh, relatively boring. Uh, as were equities today, you know, uh, Mark alluded to the unchanged factor, but we did get a we did get a spike uh, early morning Monday hours to 27k, a little bit of a resurgence. It dragged a lot of those altcoins up with it in pricing, um, and uh, people got a little excited. It's retraced uh, a bunch of those gains already, um, but we've seen derivatives open interest has fallen back to levels back from August 29th, which we also reported on last week, which was when the Grayscale SEC news uh, came out. So, um, yeah, it's a little sleepy. Really, all eyes are going to be on FOMC and see uh, what those rate hikes look like uh, going into the rest of this year. And Alex, do you think um, do you think when we look at the rate hikes, you know, you've watched a lot at Trade the Chain, whether crypto and 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 the equity markets move in parallel. Which one catches up with which? Does Bitcoin? Does Bitcoin in particular kind of offset when the TradFi markets? And it seemed like there's been a little more convergence. Well, there was there was an unusual yeah. divergence actually of equities and the crypto market. Um, but it's you know that was brief as it usually always is, and then crypto kind of rebalances itself up into the TradFi uh, spectrum. Um, but, you know, listen, a lot of things are weighing on what these last three remaining months of the year are going to look like from J-PAL um, and then what those realistic predictions are going to be for kind of giving back, you know, reducing those interest rates in 2024, which a lot of people are saying is not going to happen till the second half of that year. And I definitely I, I love Mark. He's uh, he's our rate hike uh, and reduction predictor and i want to hear what his thoughts are on it he's, 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 well yeah mark i was going to say before we get to the picks let's just talk a little about the sure uh, you know as, an, as a guy who's not a market master i'm shocked by how much influence one institution has on all the markets i get it it's the central bank it's not shocking per se but it's like literally everybody's waiting. It's like these guys are like it's everyone's waiting for their big announcement and then their post announcement and then their hidden announcement. It's it's almost like can you just that, that's not going to change. But go ahead. Sound yeah. Right. No, I mean, you're, Rob, listen, you're absolutely right. And that's where we get expressions like don't fight the Fed. Um, you, you have to also contextualize it a little bit. This is a Fed that has raised rates. Remember, it's not just how much you raise or cut or lower. Uh, hike or cut. It's the pace, the speed with which you you raise or or lower interest rates. This is a Fed that raised rates the fastest on a relative basis of any Fed in U.S. history, right? Coming out of a period of time during and post-pandemic where we had monetary policy 
helicopter money being literally dropped from the sky, which is a big part of what caused the inflationary pressures that we have that we're still grappling with, right? And and a Fed that waited too long, I think basically everybody with half a brain and that knows the difference between preferred stock and livestock has come to that conclusion, right? That this is a Fed that waited too long to act. So this is a period of time, this particular rate hike and easing, which will come, it won't come until Q2 of next year. And I've been saying that since the springtime, you can go back and check the tape. Um, that is the particularly important in and, and particularly a reactionary from the perspective of the equity markets because of those unique factors of this particular period of monetary policy, right? Um, so, so you're absolutely correct. And look, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. I said we'd have a September pause. Markets uh, seem to agree that we're not going to get a hike or a cut. There's no chance we get a cut on Wednesday when we get the announcement from the FOMC. Of course, as you point out, Rob, traders per usual will be digging through the tea leaves, hanging on every word that Jay Powell says, less in his prepared remarks. Oftentimes, we get more nuggets of wisdom from the Q&A during the press conference, like you know, a one or two, uh, I think it was actually the last time that we had a, an FOMC meeting. No, sorry, it was the June meeting when he slipped. He had that Freudian slip and said, well, you know, uh, we in this particular skip. And then he's like, no, no, it's, it's not a skip. It's a pause. Because then, of course, you know, the, the skip implies something uh-huh. different from the pause. You know, the total silliness. But talking heads like us get paid the big bucks haha, to analyze that and help make sense of it. So this this Wednesday is going to be no different. But pause now. No cuts before Q2 of next year, mid to late. Q2 of next year. That's the little Presti sentiment indicator. And and Mark, one more rate hike still this well, year? Well, so, uh, you know, I may be now in the two hike camp between oh, now. Two. Oh, yeah. He's two. Yeah. Oh, Alex is getting excited. Yeah. Alex is on the Alex, it's, John's it's nothing to celebrate. It's nothing to celebrate. Markets are not going <laughs> to like it. And I am becoming more and more bearish for that last three months of the year. We're going to talk about that more later in the show. Now, I, I do want to say, go ahead, Alex. Make your that, um, you know, just because we're most likely pausing uh, this month, uh, at the FOMC meeting. Um, th- I, I don't believe that's going to prove to be bullish or bearish for the markets. Uh, so, you know, I think we're on safe uh, ground there. John, any chance in your mind a, one, a quarter oh, yeah, there's a chance hike Wednesday? There's a chance. You're worried but, about you know, that prices. Fed tool, the Fed watch tool that we all talk about and look at over at the CME group um, has us up to 99%, Rob. So 99% says that it's going to be five and a quarter, five and a half. The Fed's going to stick right there. Um, the, the issue is that uh, they really can't do a lot except put a lot of people out of work by continually raising rates. But it seems like they're going to do it. Um, they can't stop energy prices from going up by doing that. Um, you know, the, it's a supply and demand problem there. They could tell Congress to freaking stop writing checks, um, but Congress isn't going to stop doing that either. So, you know, there's really not much the Fed can do to slow this down, Rob. Um, again, the, uh, 
housing market is finally really getting the message now. There were all kinds of art- articles about it over the last couple of days about how the uh, housing has uh, slowed and the mortgage applications have slowed and blah, blah, blah. And that's natural when you're pushing up to, uh, it was 439 today for the 10 year, 4.39. That was the new high. Uh, And it doesn't seem like we're going to turn back from that, given some of the hot readings we've still had on producer price, hotter, almost double what the street expected and consumer price last week as well, which was also hotter, but not as crazy hot as producer prices. Yeah. If I can, Rob, I I just want to, with your permission, I just want to say a couple things um, because there are some lessons to be learned from some of this. And we've, we've been saying quite a lot um, over the past preceding months on the show that commodity prices tend to spike when a, when a Fed gets to cl- the end or close to the end of a, of a rate hiking cycle, at, which is part of the reason why it's so important that the Fed get it right as to when they begin to adjust monetary policy, particularly to the upside, right? It's, it's, it's easier to cut than it is to raise, as some might argue, right, as I would argue. Um, and so I'm not entirely surprised because it tends to be a, a, a trend. It tends to be something that repeats itself in terms of seeing rising commodity prices, not only in pre- gold and silver and precious metals, but also in, in energy prices. And, and the other thing I want to just share, John, I was having a beer uh, on uh, Saturday over at a friend's place, the dad of one of my daughter's friends here in New Jersey, and, and he's uh, pretty high up in the electrical workers union in New Jersey. And I said to him, you know, what's the what's the job outlook for the next three months and six months? And he said, man, I'll tell you, you know, we were turning stuff down right and left and demanding whatever we wanted up until about a month and a half ago. And the calendar for the next six months plus looks pretty grim. And I, I love having those conversations, not only with people who's a pretty cool guy, an antique collector and a car collector and uh, a lot of things that uh, that I like also in my spare time. But talking to folks that are the boots on the ground and can actually say, here's what we're seeing, lumber moving on and off the shelves of Home Depot, planning for jobs, general contractors that try to plan six months, eight months ahead, plan their year. I take those uh, conversations to heart and include them in how I influence my overall macro picture. Not good for the new home builders. That party, I think, is over. They had some great numbers, Q1, even into Q2, because existing home turnover at an all-time low. That party's come to an end. I'd be looking bearishly on the, on the Lenars, the Hortons, the Hubnanians of the world, um, based on some of that intel I got from the, one of the heads of the Electrical Workers Union. But, but are we perhaps then looking, though, at a perfect storm? Because you everything Mark just said, You've got energy prices going up. You've got inflation creeping back up a little. You've got a major industry having a strike. I'm, and I'm not talking about the actors. That's a separate one. And, you know, and, and you've got a, a threatened government shutdown, which I know we, you're saying the, no one believes it'll happen. 
But I actually think conservatives in the House might decide to just like be like, no, we'll let the government yeah. shut down. We don't care. No, I was All just going to say that they ahead, pushed that out. The House Republicans pushed that out, I think, just in the last day, Mark, to uh, um, October 31st now, Rob. But as you all know, if you've been looking at the headlines, we just topped $33 trillion our debt did. And we put on a trillion in debt in the last three months. So like I say, the best thing Jay Powell could do, um, he won't do, but it's to tell the government to just stop it. Just stop it. But they're not going to stop. They'll go back and they'll raise it another trillion. And, you know, a trillion here, a trillion there, pretty soon it's real money. I mean, it's up to 260000 for every man. Oh, no, for every household. Every household. Not for every man, woman, and child. But $260,000 for I, You know, John, I, I wish that people understood this. I, 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 I wish, you know, if you went into Home Depot or Target, maybe better, and you asked 10 people if they understand what the national debt is or what their personal tab of the national debt is, 9.8 out of 10 will tell you they have absolutely no idea what's going on here. And you have things like $60 billion going to the uh, to, to Ukraine by accident, but, but it would only cost you know, 50 to rebuild all the homes that were burned and, you know, burned down in the horrible fires in Maui. Like we, we got such a, such a set of displaced uh, values. Uh, here's here's another crazy and, and stat. He, I believe that the U.S. monthly uh, payments that people owe has risen to uh, over a half a billion, or I'm sorry, over $500 billion per month. In, is what the U.S. Uh, total monthly payment uh, for debt is. That's probably interest only, Alex, is my guess. Yeah, yeah, I think that is interest only. You know, look, 20, you know, 25 years ago when I was a Gen X activist, this was our, our main cause because we were saying Generation X would get screwed if we didn't deal with the deficit and the debt. And Clinton famously said, you know, we cut it in half because we had the leader leave deficit pledge. But it was nothing then. And people didn't fully understand it then. Now it's a generation later. Same problem, much worse. People don't understand it. The big question here is, to John's original point, are the markets just baked in that this is just a problem we're just going to let sit forever? Or is it actually going to, uh, the cow's going to come home? Like, is it going to finally be like, we can't sustain this? Or if we just like, no, we'll be fine. Well, we can keep uh, doing it. Um, but especially at these interest rates, Rob, it is ludicrous to do it. Um, I just described, and Mark and uh, Alex already just said that when you've got interest rates going up like this, it hurts home builders. It hurts the consumer that wants to go buy a home and so forth. They wait. Well, that's because they have some discipline. The government has no discipline. And again, uh, Warren Buffett said it best. He said, I could balance the budget like this. He said, just make it so that if they don't balance the budget instead of deficit spending, that nobody in Congress can run for re-election. If you do that, they would balance the budget <laughs> because the greedy pigs uh, just want to sit there and keep milking this system. And that's just what they do, Rob. 
Can I, Rob, can well, I answer you know, your when, question as to when's it going to stop? Yeah. Because uh, no. I, I have yes, a specific I answer. When Jay Powell's gone. And, well, the, 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 that was not going to be my answer, but that that's that's probably a good one. Um, it will continue until such time as someone shuts off the spigot, and the spigot won't be shut off until such time as we get additional downgrades of our national credit rating such that companies like China and Russia that are some of the biggest lenders, right, to the borrower that is the United States of America, and that's where that $500 billion a month in interest-only payments is going, by the way, folks. So, so let that one sink in. But until such time as our credit rating is beat up so badly – Okay, that they have to start selling off uh, American uh, uh, treasuries, meaning there's no buy side because when when you print money, as John said, this is something also I I wish that everybody really understood. You don't just print money. Somebody's got to buy it. Right. There's got to be there's got to be a buy side when we issue issue treasuries. And there's there will not perpetually be a buy side if our credit rating actually does. We started seeing that around the edges. Right of even Moody's and Fitch, our our own domestic credit rating agencies starting to question what the credit worthiness is of the United States government. I mean, I'd be curious if what John's, if John thinks I'm right, but that's, that's what, that's the only thing in my mind that will stop that, that mentality. That's not a good thing. If that, if, if he's right, John, that's, that's, if that's what it takes, that's, that, that, that is, Okay, it stops yep, that mentality will, at a massive and, cost. And uh, it will be extremely painful when that happens, Rob. And all the bears, all the Peter Schiffs of the world and so forth, um, will be coming out of the woodwork saying, see, I was right. I was right. Um, and of course they're right. Uh, it's just a question of how long you can keep it up. And the fact that we have put on this much so quickly, again, just three months to put on another trillion if they open the spigots again, uh, it'll just be another trillion in probably two and a half months. These things kind of accelerate rather than disciplined spending where you drag it out longer. Buy Bitcoin. Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> You're going to need I it. I think when people that need happens. to pay attention to BRICS, too. I mean, we're already being threatened uh, the way Mark is speaking, right? And so the more countries that... Uh, decide to align on external non-U.S. trade, yep. uh, you know, allegiances, the more we're threatened. That's it. Listen, we'll get more into all of this over the next couple of weeks and even months. Let's let's do so. Let's bring the let's let's go to a happy place. <laughs> John, 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 let's go to a happy place. Energy's going up. But even in a bad thing, you can make money. I, I'm guessing you got some um, some energy picks that you're. Oh, you at. bet. Um Occidental, why? Because Warren Buffett owns it, OXY. Um, it's also done phenomenally well. Uh, I, so I really like Oxy. Um, the stock uh, has a, a lot of backing from some of the biggest hitters other than Buffett, um, and those would be politicians. Um, but you look at where it is now at about 66 bucks a share, Rob, and See that just in the you know in the June time frame, uh, because that's when crude really started rocketing up. When the when we failed to refill the spur at sixty seven dollars a barrel, um, 
June 23rd, it was 56. Now it's 66. It pays a nice, healthy 1% dividend, but you're buying it because um, it's a stable stock where uh, demand exceeds supply. Um, I'd say the same is true uh, for on a much bigger scale, of course, ExxonMobil, XOM. Um, you put those two behemoths together, Exxon and Mobil, and you've got something that, I mean, uh, Oxy is like, I think, $70 billion company, Rob. Um, and uh, no, I guess $60 billion thereabouts. Uh, you look at Exxon Mobil, and it's in the $400 billion range. Exxon Mobil's $469 billion. So it pays a 3.1% dividend. Um, it likewise has made a nice move in the time frame from June till now. June, it was if you were disciplined and you bought it on the dip, you were buying it at 100. It's up to 117 now. So I like both of those stocks, Rob, um, in terms of uh, where do we go from here with those? I think we go higher. And I, I just like energy stocks in general. If I had to add one, I'd probably throw in a uranium pick like CCJ, because I think that's another great one. Interesting. Rob, I think you're muted. Sorry, Mark, I was saying your picks and, and you like to track where you've been. Sometimes you double down, follow through, but you know, you, 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 Mark keeps track. Mark's like the law student. He's keeping track of how he's done. It's not a competition. It's not a competition, but so how did you do from last week and what do you look, where are your bulls and bears? Listen, everything's a competition, Rob. Um, this is, this is wall street. So, um, everything's a competition. Uh, listen, we, the, two of the things I suggested last week, energy transfer, you know, one of my favorite stalwart midstream players, uh, that stock is up flirting with 52 week highs. I think it's going to hit 52 week highs. That's a 13 spot, 78 handle on the 52. Um, so folks that jumped on that made money. If you hold it, you'll get that nice, uh, eight and a half or eight and a quarter percent dividend that they pay. Um, which, uh, most of my co-investors on that just have it on a drip dividend reinvestment program, which is not a terrible idea. Um, John, you know, should also take a little bit of a victory lap there. He did say that oil was going to continue to go up. He did say that the sector and the energy companies were going to continue to go up on, on, on Thursday's show. And we did it live in front of that terrific X Spaces audience. He was right about that. Um, I, John, I personally think that we could see $100 when, when oil, if you look historically, and I know a little bit about the oil industry, when you look historically at how oil performs, particularly with the rhetoric that we're getting out of OPEC and Russia, I think we could be seeing $100 barrel oil again before we see it go in the other direction. Not great for consumers, mm -hmm. but I think that's the reality. And I got, um, I don't have any bulls this week, Rob, particularly it's an, as you pointed out at the top of the show, it's an FOMC week. So um, a little difficult to tell where to tell people to, to, to bet on, on things going up because depending on what j says, the market could have a pretty negative reaction on Wednesday and Thursday could gap down on the open. So I'm not necessarily looking to put too many, you know, new bullish positions on, but I'll give you two bears. Okay. One is Lululemon, uh, a, one of the main investment banks that covers Lulu, um, HSBC, just about an hour before we came on uh, for this show, 
uh, put a new buy rating and a $500 price target on this company. This is the very type of stuff that in all of the polls, we talked about the poll that came out last week in terms of consumer uh, spending behaviors. There's a new poll that I hope we may have time to cover later in the show that came out from CNBC today that puts clothing and accessories at the top of the list of things that consumers are spending less on for the foreseeable future, including but not limited to the holiday season. That spells bad news for brands like Lululemon who sell hundred plus dollar uh, workout pants. And because I don't know the exact price probably tells you how much Lulu is in my <laughs> closet and whether or not um, I do anywhere near as much working out as, as John does. Um, but the other one that I'm going to say, and I know this is probably going to come out as a Debbie Downer uh, for folks that were thinking that, you know, the IPO uh, flywheel has gone back on. I hope that the IPO flywheel comes back on. I make more money in those environments as well. But Instacart, symbol C-A-R-T, coming out tomorrow. I do not like this company's prospects. That is Another thing, at-home delivery, the added cost and expense of at-home delivery services during a time when people are cutting back on the luxuries and the little things around the margins. They got to buy food, but they could hoof it or drive. Hopefully it's close if oil hits $100 a barrel to the supermarket versus paying that additional 15% plus tip to have that Instacart delivery. I think it's being priced too high in terms of the overall structure of the IPO. And I don't think that they've gotten the level of strategic investment, not from the Wall Street institutions, but from other corporates that they were looking for. So I don't think that one is going to come out like the ARM IPO by any stretch of the imagination. Let's just wrap our heads around that real quick, just for a minute, you guys, John, Alex, you know, your thoughts on that is Instacart. We talked a little about that, I think, in our Twitter spaces. But to, to Mark's point is, uh, is is Instacart not going to do well tomorrow? And bigger picture was was Arm just a, well, a one off? No, I mean, no, you go, Alex. Go ahead, uh, John. I'm going to be real quick on this. Um, you know, chip makers are hot. Arm was, uh, you know, Arm had some good uh, numbers behind it and good projections uh, moving forward. Instacart completely is an, well, it's an example of if you mismanage your IPO process, how bad things are going to go for you. And I think it's very hard to recover. We've seen this in the past with others. Um, I think it was a real bad mispricing on their, on their, uh, you know, side. Um, and as far as they're concerned, they're a shopping cart. I think it's a problem when you fumble the ball and you have a technology that is not an absolute need or something that's revolutionary. I don't think it opens up well. I think it does poorly. It could be a case of, uh, you know, maybe uh, Snap when it first uh, opened up uh, took a little bomb hit. Or, or I'll give you a better John, one. And John, I- you might – what the, the comp that comes to mm-hmm. mind, right, like immediately – and, it, and it's an on-point yeah. comp, is DoorDash. And yeah. how did that one do? Like, opened at, what, 102 and is trading below 80, right? And and went down on the on the IPO day? I mean, do you have another comp, John, or do you think I'm on no, the No, I think you're on the right track. track. Um, I don't know how the heck they ever got that $39 billion valuation um, that, you know, they weren't able to bring it out, but they thought that they could bring it out with that. That didn't work. Um, now I think yeah. they're uh, just trying to get it out and save 
not save some face, but basically uh, save a little cash because this is a down round, as they say. Uh, this is, you know, you're out there trying to raise money and you can't, so you have to lower your price in order to get funds in. That's a down round definition. And this thing's one quarter yeah. of where they thought that they'd be able to offer it. And I agree with Mark. Um, I don't know if, if consumers are strapped, they're going to go in there and pick the stuff themselves. They're not going to put a 15% surcharge on top of it. Um, you could say, well, what about gasoline? They got to pay for gas to go there and get it. You don't think the Instacart guys are pricing that into the delivery? You know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, Demand uh, is one thing. Inelastic and elastic demands are two forms of demand. And I think the consumer is going to do their own mm -hmm. shopping, which is really negative. And we'll see how quickly, Mark, some analyst comes out and says that, because I think they will. Quick answer from each of you is, start with you, John, is what happened with ARM going to open a, a floodgate of IPO in tech, in tech or was that I a think, one I uh, think you could, you could see a, a more welcoming IPO market, Rob, but Instacart is not tech. They could stay their tech. They're not tech. Right. You know, right. That's, that's, the, <laughs> yeah, that's the issue the shopping of your cart. shopping cart. They're a shopping cart. They're, they're a shopping cart. Mark? <laughs> IPOs for yeah, I think I, I think no, no. I think as we I think as we said um, maybe in last Tuesday's show, um, it's a good thing, and, and it was John that said it proved that there's still risk capital on the sidelines that needs to be put to work. That's absolutely true. Um, it will definitely inspire others to give it a go. So open floodgates, no, but I think we're going to start to see a trickle. And, and as I said, that's, that is good. New issuances are good for the economy. They're good for markets in general for a lot of reasons. So open the door, yes, floodgates, no. Alex, do you agree? I think it's a very neutral to slightly negative environment for IPOs right now. Um, but I don't think that stops people from coming in. Um, and as Mark, uh, you know, as Mark just pointed out, it's it's important. It's a it's a cornerstone of the capital market system here uh, that that process still keeps you involved, that all the players within it foster uh, an IPO because it's not always going to be a great or perfect environment. Just don't screw it up like Mr. Shopping Cart did. Just don't put it in a shopping cart. Okay, Alex, your pick or picks. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I don't want to sound lazy here, but I, I, I'm keeping two from last week. I got UC, UCO uh, on the energy side. I'm the degenerate gambler, so double levered uh, ETF there. Um, you know, listen, we're up 3.2% uh, uh, since I spoke about it uh, here. I'm up about 4% since I entered into it. So double that because I'm playing with a little leverage, folks. Um, also, you know, we're at an all-time high since it went 4 to 1 on a forward split from last, from uh, springtime 2022. Um, and then before that, it had done a forward split back in uh, 2020. Um, I've played two of these cycles now since those two splits. Uh, and they seem to be paying off pretty good. So um, I'm taking a lot of my cues from the other two market masters, uh, John and Mark, and listening to what they have to say on the energy side because it's important and I don't make uh, arbitrary position, uh, you know, choices or my wife would kill me. Um, the other one is Seoul. <clears throat> 
we had we've been swing training we've been swing trading soul we last week we spoke about it we had three days where we entered into different levels on short positions we made double digit returns on the downside then at the beginning of the week it capitulated and started going up we didn't catch any of the long side because i just didn't have belief in that uh in in that scenario and knowing that we had the approval date for the dump on the FTX uh, uh, bankruptcy estate coming up on the 16th. Um, I wanted to wait till then. But it is now nicely rebounded to where I believe there's plenty of meat on the bones for the FUD to kick in, grab some short money on the way down. I'm looking at the charts here. We have we have famous names like Blur down 23% for the last 30 days. HBAR down 21%. Parsik down 18%. This went up. And I believe it's going to dump heavy. So they were just adding to my wallet. There it is. All right, we've got a couple minutes left. We'll do a couple topics, a couple minutes each. We already covered a lot of stuff. We covered energy. We covered the Fed. We covered Instacart, the shopping cart, and the IPOs. But Mark wants to talk about consumers. He's been trying to do this for a week and a half. So And and, and he's got new reports. His data's digging. Um, personal consumption is going to dive, according to Bloomberg, Mark, in 2024, and the summer of George comes to an end. What does it mean for the markets? Yeah. And you only get a couple minutes. No, no problem. I do want to point out we have an update, though, on the Instacart story. The, the uh, pricing for tomorrow's IPO just hitting the tape, $30 a share. That's a $10 billion valuation for the company. That is down two-thirds, no, more than two-thirds from its peak valuation of $40 billion in its last price. Sounds like that shopping cart lost a wheel or two, Mark. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and, Rob, look, um, the, the answer is we had uh, uh, that Bloomberg survey that we, we tried to cover last show, but we ran out of time, um, which was not good news on terms of consumer spending or for companies that make discretionary retail products. A new report out this morning that actually 92%, that's a staggering percentage of respondents of any poll, other than a poll that says, well, do you like or hate puppies? I think 92% of people would probably say they like them. Um, that 92% of respondents are have already reduced their spending and expect to continue to reduce their spending even further, this is adult consumers, even further over the next six months, including during the holidays and the biggest Part, 63% in terms of the uh, what folks are going to be cutting back on were uh, clothing and apparel. And then, you know, John, by the way, the next one was restaurants and bars. So maybe that trade down trade and the quick serve and the fast food might continue to pay off. Then uh, groceries, cutting back on grocery spending. You heard it here, uh, Instacart. Uh, travel and vacations and electronics, which is another reason why I still think Apple's going to struggle. So, John, those were all five areas I would have – if you put me in that, you know, the family feud game, I would have guessed all five of those as choices on the board. Um, that's – if that's true, that's five major sectors of, of, of the U.S. economy that spill over into everything. So what does that mean? And it probably is true. Demand can't go on forever. What does the market do with that, and what are you looking at if, you're, um, if that starts happening in the next see. quarter? The – some of the stocks that have like extremely high multiples are going to get hurt by that. Um, the rest of them, I mean, again, grocery, getting the trade down to Walmart um, from, you know, Whole Foods, for instance, Amazon company. 
um, that could continue. Um, you could also see a lot of uh, folks doing, as Mark said, taking the uh, uh, restaurant trade down from the QSR, quick serve restaurants, um, going to there and even going more to the fast serve, you know, the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and the Arby's and all that kind of stuff. I think you're likely to see that, Rob, but I don't think you pull the trigger on that trade yet. And may I note, perhaps more spirit and frontier airlines. <laughs> no. You guys no. might want to try a no. spirit fight, John. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm just saying, you know, you may have to pay to use the bathroom, but, you know, it is it is cheaper. Um, OK, Citigroup launches a digital token, uh, Alex, and a private blockchain system. OK, what does that mean? What, what are they yeah, doing? Uh, that's a good question, Rob. So uh, news came out that Citigroup, which is, you know, it's a one point seven two trillion dollar asset manager, is launching the city. What do they call it? The City Token Services Network. Um, what they're essentially going to do is take all their customers' cash and digitize it and allow people to transfer seamlessly 24-7 in real-time payments uh, electronically. So I know it sounds a lot like crypto uh, because <laughs> it's, it kind of is. Now, what's confusing about this, and, and I commend them for doing this, but what's confusing about this is that, uh, you know, the Fed has come out with FedNow, which launched expeditiously in June uh, after a spring announcement, sounding like they wanted to beat, you know, everybody to the punch and kind of accelerate their CBDC uh, timeline here. So I don't know where City Token Services is going to fit into this. I will say um, most people aren't aware of this, but uh, such as Wells Fargo has had a its own cryptocurrency internally used on uh, settlements, internal trade settlements, um, since about 2017. Uh, so they've been, and JP Morgan also has created its own internal settlement system as well. This is retail facing. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if they got into a fight with the Fed. But uh, there's Fed now, there's city token services. I think there's a lot of digestion that needs to take place here uh, and get streamlined. What, Wells Fargo getting into crypto? What could possibly go wrong? Right. What could possibly go wrong? Well, maybe no. <laughs> no, Mark, maybe what could go right is Wells Fargo on a blockchain wouldn't be able to cheat all their customers. I that don't know. Just very saying. wise, Rob. <laughs> that From your lips to God's ears. <laughs> all right, you guys. It's been a fun show. John Nigerian, Market Rebellion, Alex Massioli, Trade the Chain, Mark Lepresti, Manette Advisory Partners. I'm Rob Nelson, Roundtable Street Crypto. Um, awesome. Great to be with you guys. Check out our Twitter spaces Thursday, 530 Eastern Time at Get Rev Radio. Follow everybody. Follow their, Go to Market Rebellion. Go to Trade the Chain. And again, none of this is investment advice, just uh, smart market masters talking. And a shout out to Saline Automotive. I almost missed it, but it's never too late. The tape's still rolling. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io. 
helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.